The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to the Church of Roy, an armchair all-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. Now here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWalt. Welcome everybody to a new episode of the Church of Roy podcast. I'm your host, as always, Blazer's Edge Associate Editor Steve DeWald. I am joined by my co-host, Brian Wilcox. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm great, buddy. Uh, another day, some more big news. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I, I think everybody is really tuning in to, to get our take on this. And, and I want to be very clear, like, I, I have, I'm trying to temper my expectations, but I really think Milton Doyle, new hey. summer league signing is going to be just a huge difference maker for this franchise. So big time. I mean, I, I don't want to call it a super team, but Milton Doyle, Michael Beasley, I don't know if there's going to be a team in Vegas that's going to be able to stop these two guys. What do you think, Brian? Uh, I think Milton Doyle's got Lou Dort 2.0 written all over him. Ooh. Uh, can't wait for him to come out in Vegas and rip it up. I mean, Milton Doyle is basically like on paper Lou Dort with more offense. But but let's – okay, seriously though. What what we're actually going to talk about today, What before we went to record this, was uh, – Henry Abbott, True Hoop, True Hoop founder, uh, established veteran of NBA coverage, started this whole movement, you know, a few decades worth of work here, uh, you know, phenomenal journalist, revisited one of his fast-growing topics and looks like a favorite topic that he has basically doubled down and tripled down on the narrative and I would assume the source is coming from somewhere, that, that Damian Lillard was very close to actually putting a trade demand in. He detailed, you know, basically where that source came from, where that conversation came from without naming a name, mm -hmm. and then got into some other really interesting stuff. But before we get to that, let's get into what was actually covered in that story. So 
basically it comes out that after Team USA beat Argentina in Vegas before they headed over to Tokyo, they had a team dinner and they're talking about their team, the direction of where each of their respective franchises is going. And Damian Lillard, day before his 31st birthday, apparently speaks up and says, you know, I'm going to meet with the team officials tomorrow and, you know, I'm considering making a trade demand. And he said, if I put odds on it, it's 75-25. And he didn't really clarify which was the 75 and which was the 25, which that was mentioned in the story. Yep. And, and they go from there. So obviously, if you're doing like the puzzle work here and where the source comes, it's some player or coach that was at that dinner. Or it's from Lillard himself through the Goodwins, who are a Northwest-based agency. You know, Henry Abbott, Northwest guy. So I, I don't know where the source is coming from, but it, it, it's something happened at that dinner where I don't know if, you know, it was tongue in cheek, bitching about your coworkers or, or where you work around your friends, or if this is something that should be taken a little more seriously. Um, Brian, what do you make of, of just that part of the story? Yeah, I was surprised to see Abbott just kind of double down, right? And I, I was pretty surprised at how hard he went in this one. I think he got a lot of blowback after Dame kind of clarified that, hey, you know, I'm not requesting a trade exactly, but this is what I need to, st to stay. And I think he caught some shit for that. And he's just come back and leaned back into his sources. And for a guy that's has such a sterling reputation as Henry Abbott, it was, it was pretty shocking. And, um, I, you know, at seeing or reading some more details about it, it really does kind of hit home a little more to know exactly how this whole thing got its legs. Hey guys, it's Pear here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it done, peeps. Yeah, I, I want to be very clear about Henry Abbott. I, I think he is he's always, in all his writing, the stuff they cover, they cover some very serious topics over at True Hoop. I think he always acts with integrity. Now, is his source 100% correct? I don't know. But I feel, just for me and having a history of reading Henry Abbott, for I mean, I'm probably not blogging, I'm not podcasting without Henry Abbott. I, I don't think a lot of people are. I, I don't know if his source is incorrect and he's just reporting – you know, incorrectly from, from someone who might just be feeding him this, but I think he is acting well-intentioned from the source he has. And this is not a guy who's trying to break it into journalism. Like he is Henry Abbott. And if you don't know him, it's because he's been behind the scenes on some of this stuff, or you haven't been paying attention to bylines. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's trying to become this new hot take newsbreaker. Like his time at ESPN was really kind of rallying against what, what, later became, you know, Woj World in a lot of the NBA circles. So this idea that he's, you know, doing this for clout, I think is a little ridiculous. But getting back to Lillard, I think we've, we've, I think we're crossing a threshold where we talked a little bit about it on, on our last, last week's episode about, you know, are we in denial here? Uh, have we entered Anthony Davis territory? And, and I think we're, we're crossing a threshold here where there is just so much smoke around this thing 
that there's probably fire somewhere. Now, how big mm -hmm. that flame is, is up for interpretation. And no one will really know that except for Damian Lillard and the organization. And, and you're unlikely to get that information from either one of those sources until this really comes to a head, if it does. I want to be clear, though, when Damian Lillard refuted that trade request, it's not like he gave like a sterling, you know, I'm in it for the long haul, I want to retire a blazer. Like it, it was yep. conditional. It, it was, there was an expectation that, my future is not decided and there needs to be a sense of urgency with this roster. This is not a title contending roster. That is a noticeable sea change to, to, and I've hit on this and hit on this. This narrative is shifting and it's shifting in a direction that is going to get to a destination that we've seen before. We've seen it with James Harden. We've seen it with Anthony Davis and James Harden is very pressing when you get to the second half of this story, which Abbott outlines through the sources that he has that Damian Lillard, if he does it, big word here is if, if he does make a trade demand and the Blazers do not follow through with it, because he does have, you know, he's under contract through 24, 20, 2024, 2025, and he has a player option that year, but it's 50 million. So he's likely to opt into that no matter what, because he's probably not going to get that as a 34, 35 year old point guard. Mm -hmm. He, so if he doesn't get that demand and he has to force his way out, it's basically saying he is comfortable sitting out of basketball and it outlined the money he's made outside of basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ball how he's basically sitting on $300 million is what was in the story. And that money is going to continue to work for him if he does not play basketball. So that'll be seen. I, I think that's just a bridge too far for me as far as yeah. what we've seen from Lillard in his career, but it really, it really does. It does speak to how far the narrative shifted though. Right. We really touched on that last week, but it wasn't that long ago we were, you know, as a fan base, pretty excited about Dame going to the Olympics and the opportunity he might have to recruit guys to come mm -hmm. to Portland. And now we're reading this story from Henry Abbott where he's, you know, openly mm -hmm. <laughs> complaining about his current situation. And we're literally sitting here, Steve, talking about how there's a chance he pulls a Harden. And just yep. to really take a step back and see how far we've come this offseason is truly, truly one of the more 
odd developments of my Blazer fandom, and I'd say most Blazer, you know, fans out there, they're and their experience with the team. Yeah, I mean, it, we're not. I mean, twenty four months ago, you say, "Hey, Damian Lillard is going to go to this," you know, I don't. Let's say the Olympics were two years ago. Coming off a Western Conference final run, you're stoked. Mm-hmm. You're you're saying Damian Lillard is going to go recruit another star. Now he's going, and we would all like to think he's going to go recruit a star, but he's the star that's going to get recruited. And especially with Bradley Beal out of the competition, like he is the number one target over there. And if you want to talk about a, a situation where these guys aren't happy and they're probably wondering about their future or, or you know, contemplating changes, it's this Team USA team that has been a disaster so far. Now I think mm-hmm. they get back on track. We're recording before the Iran game, but – I it's not been good <laughs> to yeah. say the least and to the the to get back to the story one final note was basically he'll hold out and, and he directly outlines the James Harden approach that how he exited Houston with multiple years left on his deal and, and the source that Henry Abbott quotes says that you know Damian Lillard is prepared to follow that playbook and, and or is open to following that playbook mm-hmm. And again, I, I think that for right now, that's just that's even a bridge too far with this sea change I've seen with how Lillard has responded in the public, but or or the narratives that have gotten out that haven't really been squashed. I think I don't know. I, I don't think he'll do that, but I think he wants to make sure that somebody knows that's on the table if that source is legit. Um it's it a, it's a crazy time. It was a bridge too far for me with the Harden stuff. I just don't see dame is that kind of guy um mm. uh, it, that's just a really i mean we've never really seen anything quite like the harden experience and for dame to kind of go to that level i i, I just don't think that's really his character and um i really don't see it happening i honestly i think that if dame asks out i think that the organization would be willing to kind of just throw up the white flag and say okay you know we couldn't do it he gave us X amount of years, and I think they would proceed with trading him. I don't, I don't know, man. I think I disagree with you on this front because I think if this organization has displayed one thing in the last few weeks is they don't give a sh- they don't give a shit. Like they they don't care what the fan base thinks. They they will Neil O'Shea will look out for Neil O'Shea, and, and if it's saving face and trying to fight the good fight against player empowerment from his end, what he views mm-hmm. as the good fight, he's the guy who I think would die on that hill. And, and that's why if Damian Lillard does level a trade request, I've said this before and I'll say it again and again and again, is Neil O'Shea cannot be the guy who executes this trade. If Damian Lillard levels his trade request, the next move the Blazers make before trading Dame, if it is you can't repair the situation, is to get rid of Neil O'Shea. You need to start in a new direction. You can't have the guy who burned down your house rebuild it. Like, you just can't trust that dude. Yeah. So, I I don't know. It's, it's so dicey this offseason, which – you know, I we've covered the Lillard stuff a lot, and we, mm-hmm. me and Brian, both want to kind of apologize because it seems like every week we're coming on here and we're talking about, yeah. you know, this Lillard situation and what's next and what's this. And if trust me, if we could talk about something else, this was not on the radar today, we would. And 
I, I think we've covered the Abbott story. It's out there. Go read it. Subscribe to True Hoop when you're not talking about Damian Lillard. It is some of the best journalism on basketball and professional basketball, the behind the scenes that's out there right now. Now that said, what we really wanted to talk about was how the Blazers can make Damian Lillard happy. Yep. How they can build a roster around him. And before we get into some of the draft stuff, because that is Thursday, we wanted to touch on some of the stories that came out over the weekend from Eric Pincus and Jake Fisher kind of went down the same path. And then even before these two guys, since you last talked to us, uh, Jason Quick kind of hinted at it in a report that the Blazers are probably going to face an uphill climb on changing this roster. But what the Bleacher Report stories came out and said was the Blazers are actively trying to move CJ or not actively, but they're looking at trades and the market's kind of cold right now for CJ McCollum or any other move. The Blazers are trying to piece together because basically everybody else is kind of freezing out the Blazers to see if this Lillard situation does come to a head. Is that what you're seeing kind of through these reports too? And does that check out Brian? It does. I think you can't help but wonder if the situation would look a little different right now without that trade ultimatum. Um, and even you look at the Sixers in particular. I don't think a CJ trade um, with, with maybe Simmons or, or even Tobias Harris involved would necessarily be a done deal. But if you're uh, Daryl over there and you have a you know 15% chance of grabbing Lillard, let's, let's just throw out a hypothetical. Why would you make a move now to drop that down to zero chance? I think everyone is truly waiting for this to implode. And it, it might not be this summer. You know, it could be, you know, Dame voices his unhappiness, the trade deadline. It could be next summer. But if you're a GM and you have the chance to potentially grab him down the road, I think you're hanging on to your chips just to see how this goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's every GM. I mean, I think if you have a less than 0% chance to, to disrupt the market and put Damian Lillard out there and, and get him out in the open, you take it. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think on the flip side, there, there is another end to this where if there, there's a threshold of where the Blazers' desperation rises to a point, but not too ridiculous to where you're just turning down too good of a deal to get a C.J. McCollum trade done. So I don't think you're out of the woods. And another way to go around this is getting yourself involved in a three-way trade, which those can be tricky because if you're not the mm-hmm. primary actor, you're usually picking up, you know, can be solid pieces, but typically they're not like foundational pieces for your franchise. Um, I just really think just circling back real quick to the Lillard thing is like for him to come out and really say this team has to make improvements. I really think that is a measured response. I would at least hope so that it's not just like this chaotic thing that he's introduced to the system of saying, you know, you know, the expectation is still some urgency mm-hmm. because when he comes out and says that it changes the trade market. And this what it's kind of makes me believe that I don't think the trade request is far off. Now that might come at the trade deadline. Like we've heard from other executives that in Eric Pincus's story, it does say, you know, a, a mm-hmm. current executive does believe that Lillard will not get moved this off season, but it could come at the trade deadline if improvements aren't made. I think this plays into that to where he is justifying his – he's covering his basis in case he does have to make this trade request. Or or am I just covering my head in tinfoil there? No, that's what I said. 
Mike last week too. Yeah. <laughs> last time we talked about this. Yeah. You know, I think it's pretty clear to read the tea leaves and kind of what's happening. But you know, I I, I kind of sit there and wonder like maybe he's had pressure on the organization to do stuff in the past. Maybe all that stuff's been behind closed doors and he just hasn't seen the level of activity. And now he's just kind of like, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm really just throwing it out there to make it very clear what I want. And even you look at the trailblazers and they, they've had chances to probably grab guys that they're a little more aggressive. And Jimmy Butler was available. I think he's a guy who could have gone out and got uh, potentially even Paul George, if you're willing to get away with some picks, but there've been guys in the past that were, you know, disgruntled with their situations, they could have swooped in and got, and they didn't. And now you see the Bucks having just won a title. Um, you know, they ponied up. That was an organization that people knew they had to make a move too. Granted, Giannis hadn't come out and said that make a move or I'm out, but yeah, everyone knew that the Bucks had to do something, and they had to pony up. Was it three first rounders for Drew Holiday? Yeah. They did it, and they won a title. And so, I don't know. I think I kind of wonder if there's if this has been brewing for, for a little longer than maybe a lot of people think. Now, now devil's advocate, I will say there is a chance that Damian Lillard, this was not intentional. And, and I think the, to, it wasn't intentional to, you know, help his case for an eventual trade request. And I say that because of how he handled the Jason Kidd suggestion <laughs> for coach. <laughs> like, I, I think that was something that was said that was immediately walked back where, mm-hmm that's a little easier to put that genie back in a bottle because, you know, Jason Kidd declines it publicly and moves on. Once you kind of start saying this type of stuff that he said about, you know, a potential trade request or unhappiness, like that, I don't think you can close Pandora's box once you open it on that front. So if it is that the latter, I think there is an avenue to get better. And one thing that does really interest me is two players that we've kind of seen brought up a lot for the Blazers and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get one of them, but if they can work their way into somehow that rotating system between the Sixers and the Raptors, if they are really talking about a Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakam type situation, if there's the way the Blazers can get the inject themselves into that trade conversation and say, and somehow end up with, you know, Tobias Harris, maybe one of those early picks and maybe a role player from one of those teams and they send out C.J. McCollum and maybe a young player and maybe a couple picks, and you're bringing back Tobias Harris where you shift things a little bit, you address the power forward situation, you clear the runway for Norman Powell to be back. Mm -hmm. You maybe get somebody who can slot in at the small forward or a prospect that might be NBA ready, maybe like a Chris Duarte from Oregon. And that's suddenly a much more attractive-looking roster. Now, you don't solve your long-term issues. Tobias Harris is kind of up and down. He had a good year last year, but you don't know what you're getting from him in the postseason. But exactly, I think that's the best-case scenario for the Blazers is trying to get in there. But then again, you're talking about a team in the Raptors and a team in the Sixers that have more than a 0% chance of landing Damian Lillard if a trade request comes. So there's really no emphasis on involving the Blazers in that trade. Mm Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. And I think those are two teams that we'll probably continue to look at and kind of evaluate and see what their temperature is as far as moving some of those guys. Were you surprised that Siakam's been kind of reported as being available as he has? Yeah, it's, you know, he had a down year last year. Mm-hmm. and But really, 
what he did on that finals run and when the Raptors were really clicking, he can do so much. He can space, he can shoot. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He sets the table. He can stay on the floor in any defensive setting. Those type of players don't grow on trees. And I think there's probably still more potential for him to hit it. Like his ceiling, I think is still going up Mm -hmm. and, I am a little shocked to see him in these trade talks, but also, you know, I'm probably higher on Ben Simmons than a lot of people. Yeah. So, same. so I I do think they might be equal value. Like I think Ben Simmons is in like just such a weird situation with the Sixers. And I wonder if it's just a change of scenery for him that he needs to get out of there, get away from a player like Joel Embiid. But I, I think though, I see those two guys pretty close to being equal value. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, speaking of trades that don't involve the Blazers, though, as we move into the draft, <laughs> there has been some talk that the the Oklahoma City Thunder are really trying to get up to that number one pick. So, today, there's been a couple reports that came out. Matt Babcock of uh, Basketball News, Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report also reported on this. But apparently, the Thunder have offered – Shea Gilgis Alexander and the number six pick to move up to number one with the Pistons. And man, that's a tempting offer for me because I'm a big SGA guy. What what do you think of that trade package? Too light, too little, too much. I was surprised to see SGA thrown around. He's a guy I'd want on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're OKC and you have that many picks, I just throw the picks at him. You know, you, you're hoping one of those picks turns into SGA. So Weather throwing them in there, I'm a little surprised. I think if I was the Pistons, I'd, I'd take it. Yeah. So, obviously, Cade Cunningham is very coveted here. I think he is a foundational piece for a franchise. I think he changes the trajectory of a team. Would you trade – if the Pistons call you and say, number one pick for Damian Lillard, do you, do you take that deal? Well, I want to be very clear where I am on the <laughs> on the Lillard thing. I'm, you know, I I might be read as being a little pessimistic about where things are. I think I'm just, you know, a realist on, on where we are here. So if I've if I've sounded kind of negative about the whole thing, that's just, I think that's where we are as a franchise. Mm-hmm. I'm not trading Dame unless he gives me a full blown request, and not even an ultimatum. I need a trade request to part with Damian Lillard. Okay. What about you? you so, pretty, okay. If, if you threw it out there, I'm thinking you might be a little open to it. Steve. I don't know. Like my thing is, is once a trade request comes, I think there is like this, this curve in the arc where, you know, the value of what you can get in return bottoms out, unless you really mm-hmm. do turn it, turn it into an arms race for him. Um, With that many years but, on his deal though, he's such yeah. a valuable trade. I, I, I think. I don't know, but if he goes, if he goes nuclear, man, that you've seen it time and time again where that trade value goes down to where there might be people who want to try to get into the action before all that goes public and they would pay a premium to get there early. And I don't know. I, that's just what I, I'm a little worried about on that front. Now that being said, if, if there is a way to repair this relationship with Damian Lillard, I am very much do everything you can to keep here. I am not, don't mistake, like you don't mistake my pessimism with I'm out here advocating for a Damian Lillard trade, but I'm telling you if I maybe have more information than I do on the outside about what Damian Lillard's happiness level is and the Pistons call me, you know, Thursday night hour before the draft 
and say, you know, number one pick, Damian Lillard, do you take it? I'm not hanging up that phone right away. I mean, I think it would take more as far as future assets go potentially, but man, that's interesting. It's interesting for both teams because I think they're in the East, a a Damian Lillard led Pistons team with that existing roster could be really interesting. Now, granted they have to make the salaries work, which would change this landscape of their team, but man, I, I would listen. I would listen to that phone call. I said earlier that Dame wouldn't pull a Harden. If you traded him to Detroit before he <laughs> actually requested a trade, he might pull a Harden in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point. But you but you're right about you know it, when the trade request. Okay, we're we're acting like it's inevitable. It's not. If a trade request were to come up, you know a lot of the times those come with Chris Haynes. You know he'll, he's going to be sitting here saying Dame's preferred destinations are mm-hmm. L.A. San Antonio and Boston, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So that could drive his trade value down. If all those other teams are like, well, he certainly doesn't want to play for us. Why am I offering the house? Yeah. Cause, cause now the nuclear option is on the table. If, if this Abbott source is legit and if it, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see that story backed up somewhere else, if it is. Yeah. So that's on the table. And then, like you said, it, when the list does come out, if it comes out, like I said, I think this situation hopefully is still avoidable avoidable and it's not inevitable that he's going to request a trade but once the list comes out like you said it changes the whole landscape of the thing it changes you know would the oklahoma city thunder be involved would the pistons be involved that all changes that it changes the whole dynamic of the whole situation but enough damien little i promised we wouldn't do it again but we did it it again but so let's let's talk about the draft coming up thursday if you haven't we did a draft special over the weekend with Mikey Weisenberg that that dude knows so much about the draft. And yeah, great lesson. I, and I, really, I really enjoyed that pod. Wasn't there for it, but <laughs> sure shit love listening to him. I can hear Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that, man. He is uh, someone I learn something every time I talk to him. So what we've kind of me and you have discussed is I don't think the Blazers are getting into the first round. But I do think they are getting into the second round, and I think they will be active on the undrafted free agent market just from how this team is built, where they sit with the salary. They need to have some cheap options lower down on the bench. I'll say this again. I do not think these players are going to be asked to come in and play 20 minutes a night. At most, if you get an NBA-ready role, NBA role player that can play a very specific role, you might see 10 minutes here and there. Mm-hmm. That's the type of player we're talking about. So me and Brian kind of put together a list, mine's a little longer, of five guys that we're kind of keeping an eye on in the second round and and what we like about them and why we think the Blazers could maybe trade back in, snag one of these guys and kind of build for their future and maybe get a useful role player pretty early. So Brian, why don't you start us off? Who's, Who's the top guy or who's one of the guys you're looking at so far? Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it done, peeps. Sure. And just for reference, I hopped on uh, Mike Vorkanov's list. He's got... On the athletic, he kind of has a consensus big board, which aggregates like 15 different boards. And so I just 
kind of tried to stay in that 35 to 60 range. I kind of ended up in the 35 to 50 range a little bit there more just because I couldn't find a lot of guys I loved in that 50 to 60 range. But that was kind of my my thought process anyway to make sure I was kind of fishing the right pond. And so first guy I have is Aaron Henry. He was 38th on Dorkanov's board. Uh, junior, he's almost 22, 6'6", 210-pound wing from uh, Michigan State. Guys has a good frame. He's you know above average athlete. He didn't shoot the ball great, but he was asked to carry a big load uh, for that kind of a poor Michigan State team relative to how their program typically performs. Kind of has a weird release on his shot, but mm-hmm. um, you know I, th- I think it's something you could probably iron out a little bit. He showed some ball handling chops. Really strong point of attack defender. And at the end of the day, I just love dudes from Michigan State. A lot mm-hmm. of good pros from from that program. Yeah, especially like in that that skill area and that position. Like those mm-hmm. guys tend to, tend to be grinders when they get to the next level. Oh yeah, um, they're used to meeting Izzo's expectation. So yeah, I, I think the, those are going to be good guys to target. Which kind of goes into my net. My first guy I'm watching now. I want to be very clear here. I was a little more liberal with how I expanded my list. I don't think this guy is going to be within the Blazers' reach. I think he could easily sneak into the first round. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl, power forward from Villanova, I think this guy is the next Mikael Bridges, the next the next just really good, competent Villanova forward in the pros. Mm-hmm. His swing skill, obviously, where what really changes him is his shooting. is something we talked about on the last podcast. But – I went back and watched his tape over the weekend and I watched a couple full Villanova games and what he can do as far as just court awareness on both ends of the floor really stands out. He is someone I think you can plug into a role early in their career. I think he arguably could be one of the most, I think he's on a short list of true NBA ready players in this draft. And that's crazy to think about when you're talking about a guy who could potentially slip into the second round, but his shooting numbers are going to scare teams off. He shot below 30%. It wasn't a super high volume, but he shot below 30% from three. So there probably is some questions about what he can do as far as floor spacing. But as far as defense, offensive feel, and just being a really smart role guy, like I think as he builds his frame, I think he can be a small ball five. And he can pass out of the short roll. And that is just so valuable in today's NBA to have that secondary playmaking off that initial pick and roll action. And I think he just fits that perfectly. So, so he's the first guy for me, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I got to, I got to, I got to jump in. Cause I had him on my list too. Okay. I absolutely love him as a prospect. He's a former five-star recruit almost mm-hmm. came out last year, decided to go back and really the things holding him back from being a surefire first rounder of the shooting, which you alluded to, and maybe not the, the quickest lateral or laterally on the perimeter, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of in my notes, I just have that guy just knows how to play basketball yep. on both ends. And also I love Villanova guys. So that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. for sure. Uh, who, who's next for you? Uh, let's see here. I had uh, your boy Herb Jones, who, uh, who uh, I believe you did a profile on, on, on Blazers mm-hmm. edge, 23 year old, six, seven, uh, calling cards defense guys long and active can guard multiple positions. You know, his wingspans up around that seven foot range. Um, obviously not much of a shooter. If he was a knockdown shooter, the guy 
again, we're talking about guys with, with yeah. flaws, right? That you hope iron out or they're able to get in the right system or work around to produ- become productive players. But one thing I really liked about him too was his, was his passing at about mm-hmm. four, four assists per 36 minutes, which is kind of a unique thing from a guy that it, with, with his build and kind of his uh, role, he's a little older, you know, he's 23. Yeah. So you kind of wonder how much he'll develop, but I'd, I'd take a flyer on him if he was around. Yeah. So, so Herb Jones also on my list, another guy, I'll kind of put him in that, that JRE category as far as I don't know if he'll be on the board when the Blazers can realistically trade back into this thing. Um, like you said, a true versatile defender can mm-hmm. legit guard one through five at the college level. You would assume at the pros, it's going to be two through four. So if he can do that, I don't think you need any offense from him. Like I said, this is a guy you could probably plug into a 10 minute specialty role on your second unit. Or, or if, you know, a couple of years down the road, you have a very matchup dependent or a matchup that you don't really like that your roster isn't equipped for. He's the type of guy you can plug in there very much like, you know, former blazer, not, you know, Stacy Ogman, a guy you can plug Ooh. in rangy defender. I think he's got a lot of athleticism. This is a guy. And I talked about it on the last podcast that I had on my big board two years ago when he was thinking about maybe making that leap, you know, from freshman to sophomore yep. um, ended up coming back really hurting his stock because it's shooting was basically exposed. But another guy I think can come in, can probably produce in a very, in a specialty role, you know, relatively early in his career, if everything breaks right. So the next guy for me, I'm going to go on a run of some big guys here. So I got Utah state center, Namias Queta. He is a monster Portuguese center that, he is very good at a couple things, and I think that'll be enough for him to stick it out in the NBA. Obviously, he has tremendous size. He's used to facing a bunch of pressure at Utah State. He was the only show in town. Um, literally, Logan, Utah is a weird place. Beautiful scenery, but a weird <laughs> place. Um, but excellent shot blocker. Offensively, he tended to drift too far away from the rim. Kind of fell in love with his mid-range shot. If you can iron that out of his – his game and say, look, you finish at the basket. I think he's a totally different player. If you turn him into a true rim runner, I think, you know, you can live with what he does on the offensive end and defensively. I think he's a plus. I think he helps you win rebounding battles. Now that being said, unlike the first two guys we've talked about as far as hurt, we're all, all three guys that we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think Quaita, even at his best is going to be able to be played off the floor. And so I, he just doesn't have that versatility. Teams will hunt him eventually, um, especially in the pick and roll. So, But if he's allowed to stay in the paint, play drop coverage, I think he's going to be a fine professional center. He's certainly more uh, in his canter than, uh, you know, Carl Anthony oh, hey. Towns. But oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no I, think he's a, I think he's a good, great prospect, Steve. I mean, he was playing against inferior competition, but his stats are great. I mean, he had a double-double, a couple assists and three blocks, three blocks a night, and – his passing was actually a lot better for a guy that size than you might anticipate, and especially where he's going in the draft, which, you know, in today's league is kind of an underrated trait still, I think. So, yeah, I think he's a good option. Yep. So who's who's next for you, bud? I had – and I'll be honest with you, I've kind of been jotting guys down throughout <laughs> the year, and we yep. must kind of like the same dudes because, <laughs> you know, I, I was 
get a refresher on today. Kessler Edwards, Blazers oh. Edge draft profile. Bam. <laughs> Steve D. Ball. Yep. I know that so, guy. Yeah. Kessler Edwards. He's 42 on uh, that kind of aggregate um, mm-hmm. draft list I was looking at. Junior, 22 years old. 6'8", wing from Pep- Pepperdine. And just really a strong shooter, right? 49, 38, 39, 88 splits uh, last year. And so, you know, I don't think he's a guy that's going to ever light the world on fire as a defender. Um, you also kind of wonder about his quality of competition at that level. But, and he could probably stand to bulk up a bit too. He's pretty, pretty stringy. But, you know, just with those kind of splits and, and some of the athleticism he showed, I, he definitely has a chance at the next level to become a rotation guy. Yeah, I mean, Kessler Edwards is is kind of my dude in this draft as far as like someone I really hope and I think is going to be there. So I think, I, like I said, I don't think Herb Jones is going to be there. I don't think JRE might be there. Mm-hmm. But I think they have a good chance of trying to get in there and try to get Kessler Edwards. What I like about him and typically the the college prospects in this range that I really like are guys that played at two two very different roles during their careers in college. And so we've seen Kessler Edwards – during his time in Malibu play on the perimeter and play inside. And I think you're going to be able to find what role fits him best. If you're a little patient with him now, obviously his knock is he doesn't up top above the waist shooting for him. Perfect. He does kind of have a weird foundation for how he starts his jump shot. His right leg does land pretty Mm -hmm. far behind him when he comes back, which that can it can put you in a weird position, but if you're playing on the perimeter, I mean he's already on his way back down to the other end. So so we'll <laughs> see we'll see how it goes for him at the next level. Um, so I'm going to go back to the big guys here, and this is a guy I'm really trying not to drink the Kool Aid on, but Jericho Sims, center, mm-hmm. Texas. I think he is a physical freak. What he can do, what at his size. I mean, he is a little undersized for a center at 6'10", but he has a monster vertical, pure athleticism. Another guy like Queta who could be just – you put him in a rim-running role. He is less skilled than Queta on, on offense, especially away from the basket. I don't think he's a player you can dump the ball into and even trust him from the elbow right away. Like, you're going to want him just straight downhill. But when you're picking in the second round, that's not the worst situation to be in. He has – marketable skills on defense and offensively there is a window for him to become a traditional rim running big um yeah i I think if his career in texas plays out a little differently he doesn't get kind of nicked up Mm -hmm. uh early in his career i think you're looking at a first round pick here yeah Yeah, and you know his measurables he's pretty close to like robert williams Mm -hmm. and you see that guy on the court with his athleticism and you're, you don't look at him and go, oh, that guy's undersized for the five spot. I think in today's league, he'd be perfectly passable, you know, at, at mm-hmm. that height and wingspan. So yeah, I know you were, you were, you were drinking the Kool-Aid <laughs> this weekend and, and what our boys say about his blocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some, some about like, it was like Kenny Wooten. There was a Kenny Wooten comp. Like my, Mikey had a stat ready for me on that one. Oh, so he, I kind of walked right into that one. And you know maybe maybe that is a uh, that is a true concern, but those young, or you know he's I guess he's a senior, so he's not the youngest, but I think he's still a guy that didn't get the most PT with the injuries and stuff. So he still has some there's some meat on that bone as far as develop, oh, yeah. development. Yeah, you can you can still sculpt that statue, I think. So, yep. um, 
You got anybody left on your list, or I got some undrafted guys that I kind of keep an eye on. Oh, deep cut. I like that. I was just gonna. <laughs> I was gonna hit the the guy from Iowa. Oh yeah. Wise camp. Uh, Adam, he's forty eight on that board. I was looking at, and you know, he's probably a shooting guard. Depends if he can stay in front of guards. Um, he tested pretty well at the combine, but you watch some film and doesn't really pop uh, on tape, but. At the end of the day, the guy's just a sniper, right? He shot 46% from three on six attempts. Great form. Can put it on the deck and shoot. Can can come off screens and shoot. He's a guy who'll probably stick around the league. Just it's that one elite skill that sometimes you look for in, in a potential flyer. And I think he'll always be able to shoot. Yeah. I I mean, Joe Weiskamp, another guy I profiled recently, uh, 46% from beyond the arc, like, like Brian said. Um, from a catch-and-shoot standpoint, I can't remember what the exact figure is, but I think he was third in the nation in catch-and-shoot opportunities. But I think what you undersell him – like, I think where he's getting undersold is he does have a few dribble moves. He does have a dribble pull-up move. Mm-hmm. He can create for himself beyond the arc. And, and like Brian mentioned, he did more than pretty well as far as testing goes. He was at the top of that class at that combine. But, like, I mean, you're totally right. It doesn't always translate to the tape when you watch him. What I wonder about with him is when he gets to the pros, he gets out of that Iowa Big Ten offense. He's not next to Luca Garza, who's moving at about two miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And that court opens up. If he plays in a system where that court can open up, maybe we see him use that athleticism. So I, I don't know. I don't really have him on my board because I think he is just like if the Blazers are looking. I think they'll look at him for a shooting, obviously, but he doesn't really tick the boxes as far as if they really are going to emphasize defense. Totally. Um, yeah. And, and which makes a lot of sense. I just think depending on when you get in the draft, if he's like sneaking back a little bit, there might be a lot of value there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to touch on a couple guys that are undrafted because there is definitely a opera. There, there's a, a pretty good chance. I think there's an equally good chance that they trade back into this draft. And I think there's an equally good chance that they sit out of this draft because there is some undrafted talent to be had out there. So I profiled him already, but Scotty Lewis from Florida, another guy kind of like Jericho Sims, just a physical freak, but does not have an offensive game developed at all. Now, mm-hmm. now Scotty Lewis is a wing. It's a little different when you're a wing compared to a center. You're, I think you're a little bit more of a liability when it comes to spacing. But if he's able to find you know, one thing that he can do well on offense, defensively what he brings to the table, and in transition what he brings to the table – is hard to find like I'll bank on, you know, teaching a fundamental as a swing skill for the pros. Like what you can't teach is, you know, someone who's made from pure quick twitch muscle yep. which is Scotty Lewis. So, so that's the first one. And for me. Uh, okay. not to mention the dude, I mean, he was a five-star recruit and I think it was unanimous. I mean, the guy, I think he went to Florida thinking he was going to be the man didn't quite work out. One thing that makes me nervous with him is that there wasn't really much progression between his first and second year, right? If anything, there might have been a bit of a yeah. regression, yeah. which is like, you know, maybe just a weird situation. And even with COVID, man, who knows how yeah. the season went for these guys. But as an undrafted guy, absolutely a good flyer. Mm-hmm. I think there will be competition for him if he falls out of the draft. I think everybody's going to be kind of chasing after him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the guy I, I've, I watched him play – in the ACC tournament, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of him. 
Um, but when I do, I always notice him, and that's Jose Alvarado, Georgia Tech point guard. This guy has Pat Beverly written all over him. Like he plays end to end, will get in his opponent's jersey, and just doesn't really give a shit about being a nice guy. Like he will dog you on defense minute after minute. Now, offensively, he's not super efficient. I, he is a little undersized, but I think if you're going to take a flyer on a guard who, you know, someone just to be, even be in practice and kind of be a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. Jose Alvarado fits that bill for me. Ed, you got any thoughts on Jose? I almost threw him on my first list. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he's very limited with his range. Um, and I've been very vocal about wanting the Trailblazers to get bigger at every position. Mm-hmm. And drafting a six foot point guard certainly doesn't fit that bill. But, you don't, I, you're not expecting him to ever be an NBA starter. He could be a feisty bench guy who keeps the ball moving and just is a pain in the ass on defense for the, for the other team. And if you're drafting, you know, late in the second or, or I like, like him even better as an undrafted guy. I think you could do a lot worse for sure. I like mm-hmm. him. Yep. And then finally for me is Dash and Knicks played for the G league ignite team does not really have an outside shot. Um, really just his shooting numbers were pretty poor in the G league, but I think he just has this kind of floor general mentality about him. He sees the floor really well. He had the opportunity last year on that team to play next to Jarrett Jack, who, you know, longtime pro, there's a lot of stuff you can take from those type of guys. I mean, look what Earl Watson did for some of these, the young guards on Portland's roster. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he takes a lot of information from their head coach, Brian Shaw, that G League Ignite team. Also, you know, really spoke highly of Knicks, talked about trying to pair him with Jarrett Jack more. Um, kind of wasn't in shape that, that year. He showed up to the combine in much better shape. If he can lock in, you know, his shot, I think he is someone we're going to look back and go, oh, hey, this guy's been on a roster for a long time. I was undrafted. Mm-hmm. I think if you get him on a two-way and you let him marinate in the G League a little longer, I think you're looking at, at a guy you could probably have on your team and playing useful minutes, you know, three, four years down the road. But like we've talked about, I, I don't know if the Blazers had three or four years to work with. So that's why I think the top of our list that we first touched on looked the way they did. Yeah. Um, these are not, you know, so, I mean, I think there is upwards potential for all the guys we mentioned, but Really, these are high floor players in the second round. I mean, as high as a floor as you can in the second round. So, yeah, certainly um, my list was more geared towards guys who I would hope could come in and give you some spot minutes. If mm-hmm. if we were in a different phase as a franchise, I think my list there might have been a few guys that carried over. Just got really like a couple of them, but I think you would have been. I would have been taking some more, trying to take more big swings as far as hitting on a on a guy like. Nix is a perfect example. Six foot five point guard. There's a five star recruit yeah. and one weird year in the G League. It's <laughs> yeah. I don't think you know who this guy is yet. And so exactly. That's a that's a great, great option there. All right. So I think we're gonna we've hit a lot of draft stuff for a team that doesn't have a pick. <laughs> so we have a lot of wishful um, thinking here. We're we're heading into Thursday. I will say kind of my final thoughts here is I believe the first trade piece has fallen into place for the Blazers. If there is going to be one, and that is something we all expected, but Derek Jones jr. Has opted into his player option, $9.7 million. The Blazers like, hopefully are going to sign Norman Powell. So they're going to be a tax paying team. Mm-hmm. 
They're not going to have the mid-level exception. But when you have a contract like Derek Jones Jr., you kind of have a de facto mid-level exception if it's a player under contract that's maybe looking for a different opportunity. You have that $9.7 million to match straight across, which equates to basically the full MLE. So do you think, Brian, before we go, do you think we see a trade on or before draft day for the Blazers that isn't just buying into the second round? No. Okay. I, I I wish I was, I wish that uh, I had another answer, Steve, but no, I I think they're probably going to stand pat Mm -hmm. and um, I hope I'm wrong. I, you know, I'm 50, 50 because we've typically seen that contract slot that Derek Jones jr. Has we've seen it go both ways for the blazers last year. We see Trevor Ariza around the same neck of the woods, get traded Rodney hood this year. He stays on board till the deadline and gets traded. So I really do think it is a 50-50 shot what they do here. Where I do think it leans that we see a move is the pressure that the Blazers are probably under. And making a move to even get just a role player is going to be more palatable if we're looking out Monday that the only marketable move heading into free agency the Blazers have made is they bought into the second round and got a guy. Like, I'm sorry, that that's like – I mean, you're bordering on Milton Doyle territory there. So so I think that's where I think we'll see a move just because they need a positive headline here, and we'll see. I think that they're going to hang on to all their trade chips trying to get a bigger fish than just trying to make something on the margins in order to appease Dame. So that's almost why I don't don't think they're going to make one. They want to keep all the, all the ammo in the clip just in case they can make something, you know, a little – bigger happen than trying to snag a sixth or seventh or eighth guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, I mean, also too, outside of Dame where you're trying to make a sales pitch to Norm Powell here too. So maybe That's a true. more modest move, maybe moves the needle for Norm more so than Dame, but nothing moves the needle more for Norm. I would assume than than Dame's happiness. So I, I think you're probably onto something. Um, That's all we got folks. We appreciate all of you, all the listens, give us five stars if you can. Uh, We'll talk to you guys next week. Brian, you got anything before we go? Welcome to Portland, Milton. Go get them, bud. <laughs> yep. Going to be a big time in Vegas, baby. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Trisha Roy Podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.